Hey moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kid's tray? Is your definition of self-care getting to close the door when you pee? If the only chance that you get for exercise are the squats that you do to pick up your kid's Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne Crosley, psychotherapist, self-care enthusiast, and seriously imperfect mom of two kiddos. This is Mama Bites. Well, hello, mamas. Thanks again for tuning in to the Mama Bites podcast. I have a pretty amazing interview for you today. Uh, it's such a treat. And I think if you're feeling any sort of way like I am, you're going to feel excited and empowered and seen and furious. And you're going to have all sorts of feelings throughout this interview and after and uh, I think you're also going to fall in love with Divya Kumar the way I did. A few words about Divya. She is a psychotherapist and a former postpartum doula and lactation counselor working in the Boston area. And we talk about so much stuff in this podcast. First of all, she was helpful enough to educate me on what exactly a postpartum doula does and uh, what she did in her role as a postpartum doula and how she found herself in that role and then how she found herself in the field of mental health the way so many of us do and um, her progression is really interesting. She is so honest with me and um I really encourage you to find her website, find her um, her videos of her speaking on the internet uh, because she is is pretty remarkable and just has so much wisdom to offer. We cover everything from trauma to postpartum mood disorders. Did you know that postpartum mood disorders are actually far more common in women of color and yet women of color are a lot less likely to be screened for postpartum mood disorders. Just that stark fact I find so upsetting and disturbing and unacceptable. This is an epidemic that continues. Women and families need help dealing with this epidemic of postpartum mood disorders. And thank goodness for people like Divya who are doing their part, not just her practice, but also creating programs like the Every Mother Project, which you'll hear her speak about, and even the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for people of color. If you're interested in a lot of the cool things that Divya is doing, feel free to check out her website, Divya Kumar, D-I-V-Y-A-K-U-M-A-R.org, or you can see her speak at the Postpartum Support International Conference in Massachusetts. Um, I highly, highly recommend not only that conference, but also hearing her speak. There'll be links to that in the show notes. There'll also be a link to an article on weathering if you haven't, uh, if you're not familiar with that term and you would like to understand a little bit more about what Divya is talking about. 
And um, that work that's being done right now on weathering is pretty remarkable and necessary. I hope you relish in some of my favorite quotes that I used for the book um, from this interview. And one in particular absolutely touches my heart. So for those mamas who are struggling out there right now in the middle of the night, on your third round nursing your kiddo or feeling like you're tearing your hair out in the middle of the day and it's it's hours and hours before you have any relief from somebody to come help you. I really hope that you take Divya's words and, and comfort yourself. As she said, the final chapters have not been written. Take those to heart. We're with you, Mama. Enjoy. Thank you, Divya, for being on the Mama Bites podcast. I am very excited to ask you a million questions. (laughs) I'm excited to answer them. Yay. So um, I'm just going to read just straight from your bio here that, I mean, because the list of occupations on it is like crazy extensive. I have psychotherapist, group facilitator, postpartum doula, lactation counselor, program creator, racial justice advocate, health inequities fighter, connector, teller of truths about parenthood, thank God, and occasional stand-up comic. So that's that's quite a jumping off point for us. It's amazing. Um, you know, I, I joked with you, if you knew more about, uh, if you knew a bit about acupuncture and chiropractic, you could have just covered the whole book for us. <laughs> um, so can we start with really maybe some more basic information because I uh, need to find out some information about postpartum doulas. Can you tell us how you found your way into this work and and how it's affected your work in um, perinatal and postpartum health? Yeah. So I, um, I have a women's health background and a public health background. Um, and I always sort of think about health from a systems and a holistic perspective. Mm. And, um, you know, I went to public health school and I worked in women's health, repro health, anti-violence work. And um, I had this wonderful job at MIT that I left after my second child was born. Um, And I ended up like kind of having this like floundering sort of terrible perinatal emotional complications, anxiety, Mm. depression, OCD episode myself. And I really wanted to go back to work, and it was hard for me to find part-time work, and I ended up uh, helping to run a new parents group in my neighborhood in Jamaica Plain. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of holding space for new parents Mm -hmm. and providing that sort of surround sort of support and a place to talk about whatever was coming up and asking the weird questions and the hard questions and why does my vagina still feel weird? And mm. why are my breasts doing this weird thing? And why am I fighting with my partner all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like, how is your baby sleeping? Right. And are you buying this toy? And are you <laughs> singing the song? I was like, please, can we, can we talk about the real thing? Yes. Um, and, and as I started to do more of that, I started to learn more. I knew about birth doulas and how birth doulas, because um, I'd had birth doulas before mm. um, at both of my births, were support people and advocates and sources of knowledge and information um, throughout that process. And here's the thing. Birth is really important. It's really important. It's a finite event Mm. and it ends. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's four, if it really sucks and stuff goes south. And then you go home with this little human and you're like, okay, where are the grownups? 
Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, oh no. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're the parent. Um, and so this idea of a postpartum doula is someone who really helps with this process of adjustment to parenthood mm. and helps the family be a family. Um, and you can get like a baby nurse, which is a totally different type of person to come and just sort of take care of the baby. Um, but, you know, I come from this place where knowledge is power and I come from working with um, an empowerment-based approach and working in, you know, as, uh, as an advocate. So I really want people to feel like they have self-efficacy over this own, this own parenthood thing, this own like taking care of the small human who is like crying and pooping everywhere and needs to eat like every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so postpartum doula really helps with that transition to parenthood. And it can look a bunch of different ways mm-hmm. um, depending on what people need. Um, but just providing information and options and support and like, yes, this is what you can expect because nobody talks about any of this. They right. send you home and you're like, bye-bye. Yeah. Um, and there isn't that care. And I think I remember my dad um, and my parents are from India and are immigrants. And I remember calling a lactation consultant when my son was born. And he was like, oh, we didn't have this lactation consultant in India. And I was like, no, you had all of the aunties yes. who had nursed all the babies. And everybody was walking in and out of the house. And everybody was in everybody else's business. Yeah. And you had people showing you how to swaddle a baby or you would watch other people in your family do this before. And so it wasn't just completely foreign and new to you. Right. Right. So that's kind of how I got into it. Wow. Wow. And so what, at least with your approach, it sounds like you were, yes, helping like fairy families into like the logistics of literally swaddling and et cetera, but really helping support people in the transition and yep. <clears throat> somewhat normalizing the experiences, but also creating space, holding space open for like, yeah, this is really weird. <laughs> right. Like, why is my baby making this sound? Right. Like they make, newborns are, they make these weird noises. Such weird noises. Like, that, like the grunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, right. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard for them to poop. Like you right. lie on your back and you try to fart. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> and you have this baby that's swaddled and it's flat on its back and you can't put it any other way. Yeah. Um, and like, of course it's going to go because it can't, my husband would be like, it's so sad. They can't pass their own gas. (laughs) Nobody tells you that. They just tell you how to breathe during labor. I feel like there's like a block, like people are like, they just want to talk about labor and delivery. And I was always a person who's like, okay, so then you're going to go home. Right. (laughs) And they're like, and then people will be like, I used to teach this preparing for baby class. And people will be like, I would always want to be like, let's think about your body and your job and your feelings and your partnership. And people will be like, he just had to change the diapers. Yes. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. No, you're going to learn that. Before yeah. You yeah. Yes. There are people for that. But there's a lot of the holding space for like, this is really hard. I don't mm-hmm. think I can do this. I'm so tired that I want to cry. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Or I'm so tired. I can't stop crying. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Wow. So I'm so glad you found your way into that. Wow. Um, so, and, and now you're working as a therapist as well. And I would love to know more about that transition. Um, but I also am looking, uh, I'm going to, I've pulled so many things off your website. It's like ridiculous, (laughs) but there's, it's so great. You're writing so great. And so, especially as, as a clinician and a mother, I just found what you wrote on your website, um, 
just to be so beautifully said, and so I'm quoting back to you, is I was struck by how triggering birth and parenting could be and how this major life transition would kick various mental health hornet's nests that the that we all carry with us. I thought that was just like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so encapsulates um, so, so many parents' experiences. And I would just ask, could you say a little bit more about what you mean about this and how this experience can affect our postpartum mental health? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like a whole, I, I have this idea for a book that says that it's going to be called Parenting is Triggering AF, and we all know what <laughs> yes, AF stands for. I don't yes. know if I can swear on your podcast. Oh, please. But, oh. A blue streak. Go for it. Yes. Okay. If I break the seal, we might never go back. <laughs> um, but like parenting is triggering as fuck, right? Like yes. that's, that's it. But, yes. And I've said um, when I ran groups, sometimes I'd be like, oh man, parenting is really triggering. Uh-huh. And like everybody would exhale in that room like they've been holding their breath forever. Yeah. Yes. Um, and like everything that we've experienced, all the hard things, mm-hmm. whether it's like we have chronic insomnia, we had abuse in the home, mm-hmm. we had sexual trauma, we mm-hmm. had eating disorders, mm-hmm. bullying, race-based trauma, you know, learning disabilities, all that shit is mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. That we carry it with us. It's the house that we live in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ideally it's not our whole story and ideally we've gotten help with it. But when you're tired, mm-hmm. like tired, like your eyes are mm-hmm. bleeding tired mm-hmm. and like everything is bleeding mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you're like literally like broken in half mm-hmm. and your baby is crying again mm-hmm. and your body is not yours. That's when we become a little like all of the things that we can kind of hold together and we know how to like, um, you know, we know how to like manage all our feelings and mm-hmm. like regulate ourselves. Mm-hmm. All that regulation uh, gets kind of messed with mm-hmm. and especially when, when we're really really that tired and the baby's crying again mm-hmm. and you know the idea of a trigger is like something in the here and now is eliciting some sort of body or somatic memory a reaction that's rooted in something that's hard and traumatic in our past right mm-hmm. so you're having a reaction to something now that's like based on something that happened before mm-hmm. um and you know i feel like this idea of like ooh, trigger warning it's sort of been like a little bit bastardized now but yeah. i'm like Oh, no, no, like something is happening in you that's eliciting a memory of something that happened in the past. Like right. that's what's happening. Right. Um, and like the, the examples that I can use for myself is I remember going to a mom's group and it was a great experience. And I'm still friends with some of those women, you know, almost 13 years later. Mm. Um, and I was I was getting ready to nurse my son. And I, I suddenly had this memory of like, my body looks different than everybody else here. And I was looking for another woman of color in the mm, room. I was like, mm-hmm. my breasts are the, are my breasts the only brown breasts in the mm. room? And I had never, I hadn't, I was like, why am I suddenly thinking this? And mm-hmm. it was this weird moment of like being in a room of white women and like all the racial trauma that I experienced as a kid and constantly being punished for having a different body. And, mm. You know, like when you're postpartum, your body is just so exposed and there's yeah. this vulnerability. And I had this flash of like, <gasps> mm. my brown breasts are different. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we're all right. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Baby mm-hmm. trying, nurse the baby. Mm-hmm. And um, with food, I remember, you know, I was raised like you have to clean your plate. And I just mm-hmm. remember, you know, being punished for not finishing my food. And I remember um, always worrying like, did my son like drain my breast? Like, mm. did he eat everything? Mm-hmm. And the lactation consultant was like, oh, well, sometimes he'll eat a little, sometimes he'll eat a lot. Your breasts are never really empty. And I was like, I don't understand. Yes. He's never <laughs> supposed to eat. 
And they're like, don't worry, he's gaining weight, fine. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what my worry, I have a different worry. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's something totally different happening here. Yes. So, like, you know, it's hard. Um, our mental health is so cumulative, and it's hard to parse, like, what pieces contribute to PMADS, but it adds to the overall load. Mm. And it's all the stuff we carry, like, is our load lighter or heavier? Mm-hmm. Um, what supports do we have in place? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, in a clinical sense, like, what if you have, like, chronic sleep disruptions because of trauma? Right. Not being able to sleep is really, it's going to be really hard for you. That might, you know, create a, a challenge in a more clinical sense. Right. Um, what if we don't have parents in our lives because of death in our family mm-hmm. or family abuse or family trauma? That's going to affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what if you have an eating disorder and you have a lot of OCD type behaviors with eating and food and suddenly this postpartum body is, whoa, a totally different thing to manage. Yeah. Um, and I know I've seen a lot of women who are like, I have to count the ounces and I have to do this. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, Control. are you counting yeah. ounces? Are you thinking about calories for yourself? Right, and, right, right, right. Yeah. And it don't even get me started with the sexual trauma of yeah. like of bodily autonomy and being touched all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, having exams and our body parts out. So mm-hmm. um, in raising brown children mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in the grocery store and, um having somebody say like, oh, are you her mom or her <sighs> nanny? Because my daughter is very, as my mother would say, fair. Uh, my son is brown and my daughter is sort of more olive. And people being okay. like, are you the babysitter? <laughs> Ooh. Uh-uh. So it's just, <laughs> it's all of the things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so many things. And, or if we were even told, um, you know, don't cry, like you should be strong. Like, right. you know, we gave up everything to come here and mm-hmm. you're lucky and, mm-hmm. you know, you are like these things that we learn as kids, we carry with us. Mm-hmm. And so when we find ourselves crying and we're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not supposed to cry. I have a healthy baby. I'm fine. Like right. crying is weakness. Right. You know, so there's it's all that. Right, right, right. And that's not even, uh, I mean, I feel like so much of it, you definitely are naming a, a number of um, sort of activating incidents that that are aren't even necessarily involving the baby right that you know being I mean of course involving the baby but like the ways in which our vulnerability can be outside our bodies now and how how activating that can be but you're talking about other things that are part and parcel of being a parent or um, having a baby that aren't even the the particular ways that having a baby in itself and having the baby like actually crying, you know, I mean, I I think you named some of that, but just all of these other things too, that just, I really think blindside people in, in the most unbelievable way that it's hard to prepare for. Right. Like it's really, I mean, just the things that you have to do all the time, like feed your baby. Right. Like if you have any issues with food or your body, um, that shit's going to come up like every 60 to 90 minutes. Right. Right, right. <laughs> you know, right. eight to 12 times in 24 hours right, at least. Right. That's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff to manage and it's very relentless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and even if you have a lot of skills and you've done your CBT and your DBT and your alphabet soup um, and you have the skills, like mm-hmm. when it's relentless, like it takes, to, it, it, it's, you get kind of overloaded. Sure, sure. And, and it's relentless. And as you said before, on top of, you're so depleted <laughs> to begin yeah. with 
nutritionally right. with sleep, you know, just so many different things that, again, you can be the most skilled person in the world and, you know, depletion wise, plus the, the overload, it, it's, that's just a perfect equation. <laughs> right. And people are like, well, just make sure you take care of yourself. I'm like, are you, are you on something? <laughs> I need Hermione's time turner. Like why? Yes. Why yes. How, and like, and that, this is a different thing, but I really, um, I really, this, and we talk, you talk about this in social work schools, like, make sure you take care of yourself. I'm like, can I come into class and say, I didn't write the paper because I chose to take care of myself? Because if the answer is no, then this whole take care of yourself is bullshit. You know, like we have to be able to have to, systems have to change in order to um, permit people to take care of themselves and actually make that possible. Um, We just don't have models of what that looks like. And Mm -hmm. we don't have models of how we're supposed to rely on each other and how we're really supposed to be taking care of each other. But that's, that's not really, that's not really what you asked about, but well, no. that I'll say is how I, um, how I came to social work school is that I ran these groups and I worked in my community health center screening uh, new mom with the Edinburgh um, screening tool. Uh-huh. And I would refer people to therapy all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would always kind of do the kind of quick and dirty of like emotional complications are the most common complication of childbirth. And, mm-hmm. you know, we screen everybody because, the prevalence of PMADs are twice the prevalence of gestational diabetes, which of mm-hmm. course you're screened for. Right. Um, and you're not broken. You are not a bad mother. You are having a reaction to hard, hard circumstance. And here's where uh, you can go talk about it. And I referred so many people to therapists that I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we need to cut out the middle, middle woman here. <laughs> right. Well, and I always said, I was out to dinner with my husband. And I was like, why didn't I get a dual MSW MPH when I went back to school when I was like 24 or whatever? And he was like, you can go back to school. I was like, I'm going to be 40. And he was like, so? <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. That. Wow. Thank goodness. I'm so glad you I'm so glad you're you're one of us. <laughs> I know. Someone was like, Oh someone said to me, I forget who it was, they were like, Oh, well you you're defected to the dark side. I was like, No, always a Jedi. Come on. Dark side. Come on. Anyway. I I also can imagine just um hearing uh hearing you speak and and and, and talking with you right now that I can imagine also probably a number of people, as you're referring, were just saying, "What can I just talk to you?" <laughs> I would bet the ranch <laughs> that you got that at least once a week. <laughs> Some people did say that, and I was, um, I'm, I, and I would be like, "I would love to talk to you," and you know, you can keep coming to this group, and I will help you with breastfeeding, and I will weave all this other stuff in. And then I sort of learned one of the things I think is really, really important for all of us who do any sort of perinatal work is to sort of know what our container is mm-hmm. and what our lane is. And yeah. I was like, there's going to be things that I'm just not clinically trained for. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be good for you if I'm in over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things when we made um, Every Mother Project, which is um, an initiative that I created with three colleagues, one of whom is a clinical social worker, another one is a mental health counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, we trained perinatal health professionals to screen with the PHQ-2, which is a really quick and dirty screening instrument, mm. just two questions, mm. and screen and refer within their scope of practice. And we were like, 
we're not telling you to be a therapist. We don't want you to be a therapist. We just want you to check in mm-hmm. with somebody as part of what you do and be like, hey, you know, I'm screening everybody just to see how you're doing. Like in the, I'm now I'm blanking on the questions, but like how many times in the past two weeks have you felt like down or depressed or hopeless? Okay. Um, and to screen within your scope of practice. Okay. Because um, when people start falling out of their lanes, that's when we get into trouble. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so just to sort of reiterate, um, what you're doing with the Every Mother Project. So you were training other providers to ask, um, to screen and ask these two questions to women within the perinatal period, um, to help assess and refer to get them, um, mental health services. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We made um, a toolkit, which is still available on the website. The four of us have sort of moved into like different aspects of our career, but, you know, we created a toolkit a few years ago. It was in 2015 that you can download. Okay. Um, it's a bunch of information about like what are perinatal emo- emotional complications. Um, here's what we know, some statistics. Um, here's what you might see in your work. You know, if you're a lactation consultant, you go into the home, mm-hmm. you know, someone's like really crying, a lot of anxiety, um, just a lot of worry, 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 that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's how you can screen, here's how you can refer. Um, and, you know, here's why it's important, like just the idea is to kind of create a safety net that um, new parents were not going to fall through. Because um, that's a lot of a lot of the work that I, I did um, before I went to social work school was, you know, you can kind of put the girl um, in perinatal, but you kind of can't ever take the girl out of public health. <laughs> um, so I always used to see, like, what are we doing now and where are the gaps? Mm. Um, and I always felt like once you have this baby and you go home, it's really, really hard to access care because care is really focused on the baby. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I hadn't seen a PCP in years when, around the time I was having kids Mm. and the OB or the midwife would see you when you were pregnant and then you'd see them once, maybe twice when you were postpartum, but then what, like, where would you go when you were four months out? So crazy. Um, (laughs) So crazy. Right. Like. (laughs) you're going to the pediatrician's office. So what if we like screened moms when they came in right. to the pediatrician's office? Right. Yeah. Um, so this, the idea here was um, a lot of it was where, who is in contact with new moms, new yeah. parents, new families, and how can we incorporate, you know, psychoed about PMAS, basic screening uh, referrals into that care so that people aren't just getting, you're falling through the cracks. Yeah. Wow. Brilliant. Thank you for that work. And I'm, I'm, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes um, where people can find the, the toolkits <clears throat> on the website. Awesome. Can you, um, there was also another project that you worked on, the Community Health Center pilot program. Is that related or is that a different um, piece? That was a different thing. That was when um, I, this was, my idea was to put postpartum doulas in pediatric offices. Oh. Um, wouldn't that be the best thing ever? Like the mountain would come to Muhammad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the office with the three day old baby and you're like, what the actual fuck? Yes, like, yes. Help. Um, and, uh, I remember I had like, when my milk came in, I had like what I call cauliflower boobs. Oh um, yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Right? I was like, Oh, I remember. And my pediatrician legit like felt me up and I was like, I, I think there's something here. And she was like, you need a pump. You need to call this lady. Right now. <laughs> she was like, oh, you're going to need a pump, mom. I was like, I need a what? 
Oh no, you didn't have a bump yet. Oh no. But it was just a whole hot mess. But yeah. He was able to give me this number, but I was like, what if? And I then I was that person later. I had, like obviously didn't feel women up in the pediatrician's office. Yeah. I was like, oh look. Why don't you come over here? And I'm going to give you this form. We're going to talk about this. You're crying. You want to try to nurse now? Okay, let's see if we can. And so the idea here was to sort of integrate comprehensive perinatal care into existing systems of care, into um, the pediatrician's office, um, into OB and midwifery practices too, so that everybody would be screened prenatally and um, at intervals postpartum. Yeah. Um, and we'll also have access to lactation support and um, other sort of surround, you know, we had a case manager in our clinic too that was able to connect moms with other services they needed. Um, and we were able to identify four health centers in the state and we got funding through the state um, for some pilot money and we were able to you know, do different things based on what was appropriate in the different health centers and what their staffing was like. Um, but we were really able to bolster the services that um, moms got both prenatally and postpartum, which is really great. Wow. What a beautiful model. Wow. That is very cool. Well, it's sort of like it's it felt sort of easy, right? It's like this is where people are. Right. So why don't we make sure that they get more support where they are right. instead of being like, okay, now – you have to have another appointment right. you have to call this person. And you're right. like, I can't remember what my name is. I'm right. not calling anybody. Right. Or it took me an hour to get here on the bus and it's snowing. And right. I'm not back. right, right, exactly. And even just making that first connection, I think people are so much more likely to re-engage versus, that, versus starting that engagement. It's so brilliant. Right. Wow. And we had behavioral health in the clinic, like all these community health centers have behavioral health. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's in crisis, somebody can be seen right away. Mm, Um, And I definitely screened moms and had them (laughs) score like in the twenties. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see if somebody can see you now. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that was really wonderful just to have all of those services really connected and be able to have a pediatrician and a midwife and a mental health provider be able to be in, in one room helping somebody who was in a crisis. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, it sounds like it's how it should be. <laughs> I'm sorry that it's not like that everywhere. That's remarkable. Yeah. It, it really, I really love, I love that. And that's when I felt like I was in my sort of public health heaven of like, Oh, you know, perinatal mental health is a public health problem. Mm-hmm. And so we have to address it on a systemic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, then I, I crossed to the dark side, dark side and <laughs> became, a, became a social worker. But it's all, it's, all, um, it's all good. Yes. The same pursuit, I think, too. Um, so I think you're actually um, segueing us very nicely um, in talking about this public health issue um, to pull up this other quote from your website, which is, um, when we talk about and treat perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, we can't view race, racism, and trauma as, quote, sidebar issues or sidebar topics. Rather, we have to integrate the understanding of these issues into our work. And I, I mean, again, beautifully said. And if I can just ask, like, in what ways um, are providers in our society doing a disservice to moms when we're leaving these issues out of the conversation? That's a good question. And it's, again, I feel like a lot of these questions, I'm like, we could do a whole thing on this in an yeah. hour. <laughs> um, 
I think, you know, there's – so I'll back up and say that um, sometimes when we talk about people of color and women of color, we sort of talk about that group as a monolith. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes have to do that. Um, and I'm also – I also encourage us to remember that there's so many different aspects of that identity. Mm-hmm. And my experience as a South Asian American woman is going to be different from another person's experience depending on – class and Mm -hmm. sexual orientation and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, country of origin and language and Mm da-da-da. That said, I feel like all of us are invisible uh, or less visible when it comes to talking about perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. and rooted anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's getting better now, but a lot of times you look at a website and it's like a sad white mom and her adorable blonde white baby. Um, And you click on like a mental health practice and you look at the people there and most of them are white women. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that like a person of color is going to represent all people of color, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I definitely get this sense of like, is this for me? Like, are you going to understand certain things about my life? Sure. Um, The narrative that I have about myself and my feelings and my family and my worth as a mother, um, and what it means to be depressed and what it means to be happy um, are shaped by my culture and are shaped by uh, my experience also with race and with racism Mm -hmm. uh, growing up as a brown child in white suburban Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, like, when we think about what we know about what racism does to the body, I mean, there's lots of good articles about weathering and toxic stress Mm -hmm. and how... This is what is killing black women mm-hmm. during pregnancy and childbirth, mm-hmm. that and implicit bias. Mm-hmm. But there's articles on weathering alone, right? Mm-hmm. So if we can't, if providers aren't operating from a place of understanding what that is and understanding the toxic stress that particularly um, black folks in this country experience, mm-hmm. uh, walking into a store and being followed or mm-hmm. having difficulty getting the mail in front of their house and somebody being like, why are you here? And they're like, no, actually I live here. Mm -hmm. All that toxicity has built up in the body. Um, And for someone to say like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Racism is a part of your life and everything is just that much harder sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there are barriers that you face and things that you've experienced because of all of these like interpersonal and systemic factors. That's going to make, everything just a little bit easier for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I think about like all the trainings that I've been to on perinatal mental health and they like people talk about stresses like financial stress and work stress and job stress and stress in the marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there's one slide of like, Oh yeah, race and racism is a problem. I'm like, that's not, why are you talking about it with one slide? Right. Um, why are we talking about breastfeeding without talking about generational trauma from slavery? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should just tell women to breastfeed. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, they just need education. Okay. So it's like a, a failure to integrate um, all, how all these things fit together. is just, it makes people feel like their lives and their struggles are not represented in that, in mm-hmm. the care that we're trying to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Did, that, did I answer your question? That was like a long answer. It, it was, it was, it, no, it was, <laughs> It needed to be, though. You know, I mean, like, that's that's important for it to be a long answer because, um, yes, you did answer my question. Thank you. I think it is um, so much more complicated even, than even the question asked. So I appreciate the long answer. 
Um, and I, I think that also, you know, you're again, segueing us into, to more of the writing, which, and even just sort of looking at this, even as a provider, every time I read this information, it, it shocks me again, which is that, you know, the, that you're saying your website, the rates of perinatal emotional complications are nearly twice as high among, um, low-income women and women of color compared to white middle-class women, yet women in these populations receive screening and treatment for emotional complications at much lower rates. Um, and just just that. <laughs> just. Well, and we need more research on that, too, because, mm-hmm. again, I think that the thing that's, that's tricky here is that there's very few, there's not a ton of research that's been done, and a lot of the research kind of conflates race and class, too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the research has been done on, like, on low-income women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that we need so much more research to really parse out what is race, mm-hmm. what is access to resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a diaper study done out of Yale where, like, it basically found that um, lack of access to a steady diaper supply can increase rates of anxiety and depression. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Then we also know that when we look at weathering um, and the toxic effects of weathering, we so see those effects as much higher in higher income brackets. So like the disparities mm. between birth outcomes in white women and black women specifically in the highest income bracket, that disparity is actually wider wow. um, okay. than it is in lower income brackets. And so it's not just in access to resources, it's actually perceived racism that is causing some toxicity there. Yeah. Um, so all these things, uh, all these things play a role and it's hard, it's hard to parse out exactly what's what we know that it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that all these things are bad, but we know it's not just access to resources, that actual racism plays a role. I actually don't know if there's been research that parses out, um, if there's been a study on just South Asian women, for example, mm-hmm. or um, you know Mexican American women, mm-hmm. or even when we say uh, Latinas or Lat- Latinx folks, mm-hmm. um, how are all those things broken out? Right. <laughs> do you right. mean people who were born here and whose parents are immigrants, or do you mean people who immigrated now? Right. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more that has to be figured out to see um, what's causing what. Um, but I do think that when we think about any sort of disenfranchisement, whether it's access to care or lack of services mm-hmm. in your language mm-hmm. right. <laughs> or transportation or any of that. And then you layer on things like cultural stigma of like, we don't really talk about this stuff. Yeah. You know, right. You know, there aren't words for feelings um, where, you know, in my family, we don't really talk about this. People don't really go to mental health providers. Um we can have a whole conversation about lack of trust in the overall medical system, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fear of saying that I'm depressed. Is DCF going to come and take my baby? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's so many barriers to, to disclosing that you're not doing well. Um, and even if you say like, yes, I'm struggling, does the provider take your insurance? Does the provider speak your language? Right. Do you have transportation? Um, is somebody going to be like, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Why are you going to go see the social worker? There's right. so much stuff, right? Right, right. It's so incredibly layered. I think, you know, the way that you put it that I was just so struck by is it, admitting to experiencing perinatal emotional complication, let alone having the ability to seek and receive treatment is a privilege. Yes. 
and and there's so many I mean I feel like you just beautifully like rapid fire (laughs) (laughs) layered out you know like um laid out all those layers of uh potential privilege if if you know like if you're in all the you know all the privilege brackets right like I have access to care the person does take my insurance I am from a culture where it's okay to admit that I'm struggling and I'm speaking the same language as my doctor I mean it's just it's 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 mind-boggling how many different layers there are there um and and in speaking to you know what you were saying about self-care before just like that system how that that whole system sets up this you know, when we're talking about self-care, that it's not this fluffy thing. And at the same time, if we are to take it seriously, how are we going to do that? And, you know, I think I would add to that, um, you know, I think, you know, something that I want to really put forth in the book that is really um, uh, can be a struggle is (laughs) that we're talking about self-care to help take care of yourself and yet, I think sometimes uh, moms, especially, but I, I think a lot of people, but um, moms especially, can take on the uh, the task of self care as another thing to do. Right? Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely! And right. it's just like, forget it. This is making things worse, you know. Um, and because well, and I mean, I was culturally, I was raised that like taking care of yourself is selfish. Right. Why? Why would you do that? Like your job, your duty is to your child and to your family. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't, you're not supposed to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're actually doing something for yourself, you're not doing something for somebody else in that moment. It means that you're a bad mother. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Um, and so a lot of that is, I have to undo that narrative. Mm-hmm. I have to say to my children, like, no, I cannot pick you up. Because I'm going to go exercise, and you're just going to wait for me for half an hour. And they're right. 10 and 12. They keep, they're fine. Right. Um, right. And I'm like, no, I can't do anything right now. I need to exercise because mm-hmm. I need to do this for myself, and that's important. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, I mean, speaking all this truth is radical and revolutionary, right? right. That's not the way I was raised. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's so it's a lot of it's a lot of undoing. And self-care is not manicure, like a manicure in a bubble bath. <sighs> self-care is a way to find to restore yourself and nourish yourself so that you can do whatever you're doing sustainably. Oh, and the other thing that I'll say, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, please, I have a microphone. Yes. (laughs) Um, I, as an Indian American woman, I have to sort of point out that like, there's a lot of conflation. There's something that happens with cultural appropriation and yoga. Mm. Um, Just do yoga. Like say namaste. And I'm like, no, namaste means hello. (laughs) Means hello. And, you appropriating, not you, Corinne, but yeah. like, like white people appropriating my culture and telling me to do self-care. I'm like, uh, no, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah. It's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of that in the sort of like very privileged, very bourgeois, very like natural sort of parenting world um, mm-hmm. that I come into contact with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other thing that, that I'll say mm-hmm. is that sometimes for people of color, it feels like white folks take our things, make them theirs, mm. make them fancy, um, mm. and then try to sell them to us. Right. And I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I guess I think you talked about this a little bit, but <laughs> excuse me, want to say any more about what we 
what we need to be doing as a community, as as a system to be helping women get the get access and care and support that they need. I know that's an extremely <laughs> varied question, um, but I think you sort of when you're um, what you've opened up in the conversation about that the system has set up so that it's a real struggle to get the self-care that you need. Um, and there are sort of bullet points that you want to hit in terms of what do we do that, what do we need to change? Oh, I mean like paid parental leave, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that, like big, big changes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Childcare, <laughs> like those, those types of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like not having, not having paid parental leave is massive. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of time that we spend exhausted because we are financially, we're financially strained. Mm -hmm. It's really like shitty choice one or shitty choice two. Like mm -hmm. I worked really hard to get this job. Mm -hmm. Maybe I like my job. Mm -hmm. I probably need my job mm -hmm. financially. And mm -hmm. so I need to go back to my job and leave this baby. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, it's like, do I want to stay with the baby or do I want to stay with my job? And you can't really do both in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, and then I forget it, but like, it's so hard to breastfeed and to pump and Ugh. then pay for childcare. Mm -hmm. And then you're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. it, it's where we set everybody up to fail. And mm -hmm. no wonder, I mean, the hormonal shift is a thing, but like, you just can't do it. I see moms every day. And my clinical work, they're like, I just feel like I can't do it. I feel like I can't do it. I feel like I suck. I feel like I'm failing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you were set up to fail. Mm -hmm. You weren't given leave. You weren't given affordable child care. Mm -hmm. You are not sleeping. You feel like you're a shitty mom because you can't pump as much because you fell asleep while you were pumping. I mean, how are we? And then we're like, oh. And then we tell women, like, you can have it all. But it's, it's a lie. Yeah. Set up. Yeah. And then people are like, I feel like I suck. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you can't do all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, if somebody is like really doing great at all of these things, I'm like, hmm, do you have mania? No, I'm not. You know what I mean? It's like, how can you how can you do it all? So there has to be like large systemic changes like paid parental leave and like <laughs> like really affordable child care um, to make moms and new families feel like there really is support. And when I say parental leave, I mean parental leave. Right. If you look at some of the like truly civilized countries, all parents get a year or two years or whatever it is. Right. Um, it shouldn't just be for the parent who gave birth. And this is a whole other conversation, but we know so little about how perinatal emotional complications affect um, LGBTQ right. uh, and trans parents. Um, you know, there's so much more research needs to be done in that area. Mm -hmm. We know that folks who adopt kids can be depressed and anxious because that whole lack of sleep thing and the of whole course. responsibility of caring for a baby thing, like sure. that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I really feel like that there has to be like large policy changes mm -hmm. um, in terms of to provide the support that families need. And, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. It's, <laughs> Insurance should pay for things like a postpartum doula. In Massachusetts, there's a bill right now. Um, I don't know what stage of the legislative process it's in, where insurance companies, including Medicaid, would pay for birth doulas. I'm all for it, and I could not be more supportive of it. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, birth is a finite event. Right. Insurance needs to pay for postpartum doulas. Insurance needs to pay for comprehensive lactation support. Um, and um, 
the other thing I think is really, really important that I think is important to touch on is that we really need to ask people what they need because we're really, really good at saying, like, you know what you need? You mm-hmm. need to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Or you need to, um, I don't know, whatever. I'm blanking on something. There's a woman named um, Kimberly Seals Allers mm-hmm. who talks a lot about um, inequities um, in health and specifically in breastfeeding. I saw her speak at a conference mm-hmm. last March. She was so full of so much wisdom and so many profound things and the thing that really I'm taking away from her talk is the importance of asking people what is important to them what do you need Mm -hmm. Um, and she was talking about doing breastfeeding advocacy and promotion work and she was like you can't just go into a community and be like guess what you need to breastfeed (laughs) and she talked about how like they created a, a community health worker program where they went into different communities and asked women like what's important to you what's a concern to you and women talked about um taking care of their kids and having access to jobs. Mm-hmm. So they created this community health worker program where they train people to be community health workers and talk about food and nutrition. And I'm kind of bungling the whole thing. I can't oh. remember exactly the details of the program, but slowly they were able to introduce breastfeeding sort of much later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's the idea is to like ask people what they need and build the relationship. Um, and before you sort of impose your own agenda, Um, and that's, again, where a lot of the cultural stuff for me comes in Mm -hmm. is that people are like, oh, well, you should just do this. And I'm like, that is not how I was raised. Mm -hmm. I can't just, you should just go take care of yourself. Like, don't worry about your kids. They'll be fine. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how I, you're going to have to undo like generations of shit. Right. Yeah. Not even the years of me, (laughs) like generations. Right. I can't, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so asking, like, what is it that you need and, like, how can how can we help you? Yeah. Regardless of whether you think, like, uh, we're really good at telling people what we think they need. Right. <laughs> right. Boy, so. For sure. Wow. Well, that's beautifully said. Thank you. And I think that answers the question, you know, sort of was asking on a systemic level and then asking very, you know, on the macro level and on the micro level. And I think that that's the answer to the question on the micro level right. is just asking people what they need. <laughs> Yep. For sure. Wonderful. And not assuming that you're the expert of their lives. Right. Or that they, they share your agenda. You know, I mean. Yep. Yep. And they share your values right. and, you know, all of that. It's, it's, we have such a, an idea of what, um, I'm, I'm always aware of like what the dominant paradigm is mm-hmm. and always aware of the ways in which that I am just different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and when you have, again, it comes back to the triggering piece and the rawness and the vulnerability, all those things are just broken wide open mm. and are like kind of taking your knees out at every turn mm-hmm. when you're a new parent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have just a couple more questions for you, um, even though I could talk to you forever. Um, can I ask you um, to tell us a little bit more about the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for People of Color that you're that work that you're doing? Yes. Um, So this was an organization that I created with two other women, um, Desiree Israel and Jabina Coleman. Um, We created this in 2017 because we were like, oh, there is no mental health, perinatal mental health organization created by people of color for people of color. Mm. Um, And the goal here was the integration piece um, Mm -hmm. to make sure that race and racism um, and, under, and understanding of 
how this affects all of us is woven into how we talk about, approach, um, and treat perinatal emotional complications. And we quickly became part of PSI, which is Postpartum Support International, which is a wonderful uh, large organization that deals with all aspects of perinatal mental health. Um, and so the work that we're doing, the biggest piece we're doing right now is to raise scholarship money so that um, mental health professionals can get of color can get training specifically around perinatal mental health. Mm. Um, and so there's just like more visibility and representation within the perinatal mental health field. Awesome. Um, so people from all different um, cultures and backgrounds can click on a website and see all different faces, which is mm. not to say that like white people can't treat folks of color and that folks of color automatically are going to like know everything about each other. Mm-hmm. But again, it, a lot of it is just visibility and representation matter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the familiarity matters, mm-hmm. um, I think, in some cases. Like, I, my therapist is an Indian-American woman. And for me to be able to say, you yeah, know, my parents had an arranged marriage. And for her to be like, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I went to Target and I bought Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's one of, the, one of the main pieces we're doing. And the other piece is to sort of work with PSI to um, kind of shift and um, adapt the trainings that they have to be sort of more integrative, if that's an adjective, of issues of race and racism and diversity and inequity, just so like, so that they're not a sidebar thing. It's like, you know, we have to figure out how to talk about perinatal mental health and racism in a way that's really put together, not like depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, da, da, da. Oh, and here's the one slide on race. the one slide on racism, yes. No more. Yeah, no. Thank you for doing that work. That's incredible. Um, so I just have one last question for you. It's one of my sure. favorites. Um, so I ask all my uh, expert moms, um, oh. if you could meet yourself at any point in your postpartum years, what advice or comfort would you want to offer that version of yourself? Oh, my God. Um, you know, I I remember the words, of a lactation consultant who I loved. And I, I really, really thought that I was going to die. Mm. I thought I was going to die. I had such debilitating anxiety mm. and OCD. Um, and I just felt like, I just felt like I couldn't go on. I mm. felt like I would never get better. I would never be well. I would never be a good mother. Um, and she would say to me, and I would, a lot of it, my anxiety had to do with breastfeeding and difficulty breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I think this is the end. I think this is the end. And she'd be like, the final chapters have not been written. Mm. And she said that to me a lot. She was like, the story is long. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's what I would say. Like, this is one long story. Mm-hmm. This is a blip. Mm-hmm. This isn't who you are. This mm-hmm. is not the whole story. This mm-hmm. is a part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece is that, like, I think that this is not, this would not have been helpful for me to hear at the time. Um, but I know now that my experience working through that has made me a better mother mm. um, and has made me more able to talk about feelings with my children mm-hmm. um, and made me more okay with being like, this is hard. Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing and I love you and I will always be your mother and I will always take care of you. And sometimes I'm going to fuck it up Mm. and I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry. And I'm going to try again, Mm. but it's like, this isn't who you are. This isn't the whole story. Mm -hmm. There's, this is part of the story and it will be long and it will be great, Mm. but it doesn't end here. This isn't it. Mm. 
Because in those moments, like especially when it's dark and you haven't slept and your nipples are bleeding (sighs) and you you really hate being a mom and you're Mm -hmm. like, well, I am a broken human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You need someone to be like, this isn't it. Right. Right. Doesn't end here. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm a bit speechless. That's incredibly beautiful and powerful. Um, And I, I, I'm seeing them on the page as you're, as you're saying it. And so I, I know how helped um, people will be by you saying that and sharing that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Oh, thank you. So that's it, moms. That's the last bite for today. But in case you're hungry for more, head on over to the Mama Bites website. That's M-O-M-M-A, Mama Bites website, and stream more of our podcasts. Or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. And don't forget to stop by Instagram. And definitely come on by our Facebook group, The Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.